What gives you the right? Well, I am a ticking time bomb of fury. This can't be happening, man. This isn't happening. Well, what if there is no tomorrow? So stop melting, ladies, because the boy is hotter than hot. I'm the best chance you've got. Hello and welcome to the D program podcast. We are uh, recording in our new recording studio, which just happens to be a hundred and how old? Hundred. I don't know exactly. It's over a hundred years. Over old. your hundred year old farmhouse, one bedroom farmhouse, which we are also living in with our little boys. Mm-hmm. So should be uh a good more on that more on that later so it's been a while i think our last episode was two months ago and that was a podcast we had recorded but you know a couple of months before that what the cryptocurrency one right yeah so in that one we broke into three parts yeah so we got a lot to catch you the listener up on in our current lives uh and uh also just a couple of things to be on the lookout i've got a short story that should be coming in the next uh week or two just got some finishing touches to put on it and our next episode will be our fight club book club episode with uh brad van valkenberg who was an English teacher for a lot of years, and, you know, he's a, a nerd. So, uh, also, uh, he worked at the fire department with me. He still works at that fire department. I'm no longer there. So, uh, more on that in a second as well. But, uh, anyway, uh, those are some upcoming things that uh, are upcoming. So, <laughs> if you haven't read Fight Club, go ahead and read it, and then you can... Then watch the movie. And watch the movie. Uh, and then sit in on our discussion. I thought it was pretty interesting. I, yeah, we, it was. We hit it from a couple of different uh, directions. And what was fun is Brad did what an English teacher would do. He looked up some stuff, uh, did some research. Uh, Shannon, of course, uh, did some research. She approached it as an English student as well. And then I did some research, but mostly just thought about it and analyzed it and came up with questions that I had. So I thought it was a fun conversation. I think that we, oh, all that to say, we came at it from, okay, here's the information that's already out there that everybody who's is going to have access to. And then we kind of digested it and then I think put a new spin on some of it. So I, th- I thought it was fresh commentary. Yeah, anyway, I think so. Yeah, pretty fun. Pretty fun. So Well, and just just a tad bit more on that. I think it's interesting to read Fight Club now, like in our current political, societal state, economic state that we're in. I feel like Fight Club might be slightly different if you were reading it ten years ago mm. versus reading it now. No, definitely. I mean what's weird is it it felt oddly predictive of the state that we were in. It's like almost, um, he was looking at all of these problems that males, I think he focused hyper on males, 
But there was also an interesting commentary on females with Marla Singer and Marla's mom and just this general state of discontentness that I think is very uh, resonates very well with today's. Yeah, so I think culture. the commentary that we did on it was very relevant to today, which is new, fresh commentary because the commentary ten years ago could not have predicted. I mean, maybe you could have predicted where we'd be at today, but they weren't living in it. No, and you couldn't. You couldn't explicitly. Yeah, so it's it is interesting to read things given the current state. Mm-hmm. Just whichever. Wherever you're at in history, you can always look at things with a new lens. Right. Right. Based on where you are currently at. Yep. And it's why people can read the same book throughout their life and view it differently as they read it. Well, and it's like part of what makes a book a classic is yeah. almost almost like a time capsule, but um, continually applicable to, yeah. to modern, moderner life i don't know <laughs> yeah, moderner moderner yeah. life because i both of us have read fight club before but i probably haven't read it in five years well and for me it was very i we talk about it in the episode but it was very pivotal to me i read it in high school watched the movie for the first time in high school and i think it it did uh philosophically impact me you know, yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, go anyway. listen to the episode. So that that will be the next episode, and I was tempted to put it out for this one, but uh, there was so much change in our lives that I felt doing this episode and then releasing that episode would probably. Uh, we have had a lot of things happen between now and the last time that we actually sat down for a podcast with yeah. just us. Yes, which. I guess has we've only done intros. Yeah, I feel like correct me if I'm wrong that the last time we maybe talked about some of these events, uh, it was with Aaron. Aaron, yeah, and that was when we weren't even sure that we were moving. Right, yeah, we I didn't even really want to talk about it too much because it was it was still an idea. Yeah, it was still an idea, and and it really went from an idea to what we were doing very quickly, very quickly and <laughs> that most of our friends didn't even know that we were moving. serious. Like yeah. a lot of people were like, Oh, you talked about that, but I didn't know you were serious about that. So I guess we can go ahead and jump in to the, to talking about the move. Um, I guess to just kind of throw a quick summary, we had been thinking about this, about making this move for I mean really years. Yeah, so just again to give context to oh, it. Yeah. Yep, context. We lived in Amarillo, that's where we had met, got married, had been. My family has had land down by Stephenville. It's been in the family for over a hundred years. Um my parents had moved out here a couple years ago. My grandparents live out here. So we have always talked about moving out to go be on the land. And kind of live more of more of a rural rural life, be with my family. Um, there's different aspects to it. And so it's both, something like your dad's recently retired. Yeah. And your mom is you know, she's always she's a stay at home mom. Been a stay at home mom and uh, stay at home grandma now. Stay, yeah, she's a stay at home grandma now. And so and that was, you know, we had several things enticing us down here. Uh, and then your great your grandma 
Emmett and Callahan's great grandma, which is kind of cool. Um, she offered, we were just talking about the possibilities and she offered to let us live in the farmhouse. Yeah. So we have a farmhouse that has been here again, like we mentioned over a hundred years. It is my great, great, great grandparents' house. So however many years that has now been. Yeah. So it's been here. What's interesting is that every generation since that, that original couple has lived in this farmhouse for some length of time. So the farmhouse has been lived in. It's not dilapidated. It's not falling apart. Like it's not an old just building. It's not necessarily luxurious. At but the it moment. also has not really ever been updated. Right. If that makes Which sense. Which is kind of cool. There's some yeah. there's some parts where you kind of look at it and even like the hardwood floors, they're old hardwood floors. But they're, that's cool, but there's also like downsides to it, you know? So, it, Well, I think one, one main, one aspect to it is that the last person who really did some of the big updates was my, my great granddad. Yeah. He's the one that added on this extra pantry... Um, which there's no code. It was not building up to code. Mm -mm. So he literally just attached this tiny little pantry to the house and it lets in a lot of bugs, dirt, rain. I mean, yeah, it leaks if it, it rains does. too hard. So there's aspects like that, which in that case, it's really old and outdated. Mm -hmm. But then there's other aspects that my granddad tried to fix and he did more like cosmetic fixing. So like the living room that we're sitting in still has the original beadboard siding in it and it's beautiful mm -hmm. and it's fun that that's still original i mean yeah that's well and still that's the same siding that was here 120 years ago it's part of what kind of excited me about moving down here and moving into this house is it's like okay uh especially with our last house i did a lot of the work to it we did um some updates and added some stuff and the you know but here there's several projects that I will probably be working on. And if you follow us on uh, social media and stuff, you'll, you'll be seeing, uh, but yeah, it's, it, it's a ready to live in house that needs a little TLC. So. And I don't know if we've mentioned this. I think you kind of said it. It's a one bedroom, one bathroom house. I don't know the square footage. I, it's actually pretty large rooms. So They're good sized rooms. I would probably guess it's, around i don't know 500 square feet okay was, you know yeah it's so i there were a lot of people know, who were kind of that. maybe closer to like 700 i don't know it's hard 500 we'll, to 700 yeah we'll get we'll get you it's a, interesting because the rooms are a good size like the living room the kitchen the bedroom those are the three rooms outside of the bathroom and a pantry there are decent sized rooms but there's no, there's no hallways. There's no storage space. There's nothing extra that a lot of houses do kind of have, you know, space between rooms kind of. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like that here. Just all the rooms next to each other. When it's, uh, that, that was, uh, not a learning curve, but we moved out of a house that was a three bedroom, two bath, uh, pretty big spaces in it i think it was a, a 15 it was almost 75 almost yeah. six, 1600 and then it had a two-car garage plus i had a shed in the back and it was a corner lot so we had a, just a whole lot of space and 
plus the covered patio. I mean, we just had a lot of area that we yeah. could inhabit. And with, with the boys, that's good because they're at this age where, especially Callahan, a uh, two-year-old, is very uh, ADD in his you know, like he short, wants, attention he's short attention span. So he wants to be here and then he wants to be here and then he wants to be here and he wants to be outside and then inside. And so it was, our old house was very convenient in a lot of ways. And oh, now, it was a very good house. I it was a good house. house. And, um, and now, you know, th- this place has a whole lot of upsides too. And it's been, I would say overall, not very, uh, uncomfortable, but let, let, we've, we've digressed. Yeah. So to get back to the to the I just summary, to set the context oh yeah, no so context of where understood. we the context of where we moved into. Yeah, you know, and it's really cool. We've got a bunch of like fruit trees and yeah. fig. Is it a bush or a tree? I don't know. I feel like people always say fig trees. They always say fig trees, but, but all we have is bushes. All we see, all the different figs that we have, are all fig bushes. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. So, uh, and we'll go in more context about where we're actually living. So like follow us on, on social media. Uh, I, we're going to start a specific kind of farm page uh, here at some point. So just kind of be on the lookout. And if you follow myself or Shannon, you'll, you'll see that stuff. And, uh, it's a really cool area. So it, it's not like we moved just, to a random spot. We were, we were drawn here because of all of the upsides. Yeah. We wanted to, yeah, change our lifestyle up. Mm -hmm. So, so we we were living in Amarillo. I had, I ended up with 12 years at the fire department. Almost exactly. I quit, I think two days before my hire date. And so we were in Amarillo and we had a great house. We had a very stable life, very stable income. Very comfortable. Very comfortable. Um, friends, uh, very comfortable friends that we had known for a long time and had great relationships and, you know, long-term relationships with. And I had a bunch of family and stuff. But the whole time, uh, we were kind of looking for a change. I think since we were married... Uh, we had certain things that were frustrating us about how we were living in, in a lot of ways, I, I felt like it was how I was almost expected to live, you know? Yeah. So we started thinking about the farm and then seeing some of the upsides where with the kids having help with, uh, stay at home grandma and just different things we ended up just deciding like hey now's the time we're going to make this move there were also some other contributing factors as far as like culturally with coronavirus yeah i think just to break down several things after covid like this has already been now what over a year into covid so I mean, it started at the end of 2019. Yeah, so it's coming up on. So a two lot years. of things have been shut down. Um, Amarillo had Amarillo offers a lot of really fun events, which is one of the perks of living there. But with everything going on, it's like who knows how long we'd be waiting for for these events to come back. Like, are we living here just to wait for events to come back? So it just felt like a good break. Also, our kids were about to start school, and it is starting preschool, so it seemed like a natural break for him. Also, the market that the the housing market yeah. was a big incentive. Like we could sell our house for more money now than who knows what it would be like in a year. 
So there were, yes, definitely several contributing factors to doing it now. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the reasons why we just jumped on it when... When it, when it was it kind of like a up. now or later. Like, yeah, not a never thing, but it was kind of like we had a window to jump through and it wasn't going to be there for very long. So it, there was some rushed... Uh, or not rushed necessarily, but uh, there was a time constraint on our decisions. Yeah, well, especially with summer ending. Mm-hmm. It's like if we knew we were going to do it, why not do it before the kids started their school? And I'm in school, so I also did not want to be moving in the middle of a semester or when they had to move schools. When I, so I, at that point, it's like, let's just get it done. I say window. I say window, but more so I think I maybe mean corridor. So like... It was okay. So we had to, we had a bunch of different things that had to hit at the right time for us to get a long ways, you know? And so it was kind of like if we miss this one, then we have to wait for things to line up again yeah. to where we can make it all the way through. Which and, could have been another year from now. And it could have been. And at the time, I was uh, in conversations with my new job and they were kind of giving me timelines and guesstimations and stuff. And, and it was everything kind of lined up, uh, which ended up after we got our house sold. I hadn't quit yet. So just to give a breakdown of the timeline, we put our house in the market and we got an offer on it that same day, mm-hmm. which ended up being the offer that we accepted. And that was it. So we only had to show our house for one day, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Then I think you quit your job a week after that, give or take. It could have maybe been two weeks. I think it was two weeks. Because Be- then we started packing and moving. And so we were still we still did not know what the move here was going to look like. Because right. you did not have a job. No. We just said, okay, we're just going to do it. We are going to get moved in before well, school. And the job that I kind of had lined up, uh, I talked to him again. And he was kind of like, no, nah, I don't think it's going to be there. Because of several different dynamics. So we kind of had to make the decision that, okay, even if we I don't have a job, we're going to move. Yeah, we just said no matter what, we'll go down there. Even if Dexter has to just get an interim job, mm-hmm. we'll make do. We'll make it work. We've already made the decision to go. We're, we're just going to go. So we moved a week before school started. Mm-hmm. And on the same day that yeah, we were so we, moving. Yeah, so we loaded up. I, I put in my two weeks notice at, at work, which was uh, essentially, you know, the day that I was done. You know, they... Uh, you don't work at two weeks. Yeah, you don't work at two weeks. And so I went in, turned in all my stuff, you know, quit. And then that... So that was a Wednesday. And then that Friday, we were loading everything up to make our initial move down here. Uh, our initial load. We left some stuff up in Amarillo, knowing that we were going to come back and clean the house and do some stuff. Anyway, we we got the the U-Haul loaded up. My homeboys from um, the fire department came over and helped me load everything up. And uh, it was fun because one of my friends, Manny, he's been on the podcast in the past. He uh, was actually working a callback at my old station. So he brought the fire truck by and... Got to see a bunch of guys, and and my crew, uh, guys that I'd worked with, came over and helped me load up the truck. 
And so my parents were coming with us to help us move down. So my mom had the boys in her van and Shannon left a little bit early. We left a little early just to go and get the boys in before it was nighttime. Yeah, go ahead go ahead and start the drive. And me and me and my dad were driving the U-Haul and so it was gonna take us a little bit longer. So they got loaded up and they left and then we kind of loaded up the last of the stuff. And then my dad and myself, we drove over to Chick-fil-A to get some food before heading out. And while we were in Chick-fil-A, I get a call from the fire department uh, from Stephenville. And uh, it was a chief checking my certs and checking what was going on. And he uh, kind of, I guess, ran some you know, ran some numbers and, and stuff and made sure that I was hireable. And then he called and offered me a job. So it was like, after, after everything, it was like, Hey, we're moving, we're making this move. And then luckily the, the day that we're moving the down, day that we're, offered a job. yeah, the day that we're moving down, he called and offered me a job. So, uh, it, it the whole process kind of felt a little ordained in serendipitous. a sense, very serendipitous, a lot of things, like they just I said, fell into place. Yeah, stuff lined up. I don't like to force things. Mm-hmm. And I I do think that, I don't know, I guess you can say either, like, I do feel like God speaks to us, or you could say the universe tells you things, however you want to phrase it. Mm-hmm. Things work out the way they're supposed to. And when you have to, like, try to jam things into something probably not right right and this felt like everything just fell as it should be stuff stuff lined up so i felt very good about it yeah so and and it did like there there wasn't really i mean even my departure from the afd you know the fire department that i worked for forever and um it felt great like the all of everybody was very supportive through the whole process and then even whenever I was turning my stuff in, the the chiefs that I was talking to were very positive and very supportive, and uh, they it, it's nice whenever people are sad to see you go. You know, they were expressing that they were sad to see me go, and that they were really uh, proud of the you know the work I had done. And you know, a lot it was funny because especially the main guy, the main chief that was helping me with the exiting process. He had taught me in the fire academy. I had first met him in the fire academy. He had been a driver when I got hired on. And so he, he was swinging and he came into my station several times. So he'd kind of been there with me through the whole process. And, uh, I, I joke a lot of the times that I was raised in a lot of ways by the AFD, you know, so the whole thing just felt great. And, well, I think going off of that, it's also interesting because several months before all of this happened, you got moved stations. Right. Which I do think was a big aspect of it. Yeah, I guess I should back up to that. So I got my paramedic, and but see, I was at the rescue station, and I had been in the rescue program for a lot of years. So that was kind of like my niche. You well, know? yeah, you had a lot of guys there that you were similar ages with. Mm. Y'all all got along. It was like a very solid group of friends. Well, and and like I had been I there. I liked all of them. Yeah, I had been there a long time. So they had all come into the station as I was stationed there. So 
uh, it was interesting. I, I did feel, um, a lot of identity. I, uh, what would the word be? Like, I, I felt tied to that station and that crew and then my officers and, you know, it, it was, and then anyway, all that to say, since I was a certified paramedic, the AFD was starting a new paramedic truck. And so it was kind of like, Hey, we don't want to move you, but we have to move you to this new station, which was great. I mean, it was nice. I got to work with guys that I had never worked with before. And I got to become better friends with some guys that I was already friends with. And it was good to get to the other side of town. See, it, it was good. There it was just a lot of good, felt... there was a lot of good stuff with it. But at the same time, I was no longer in my home. Yes. At, like we were talking about moving while you were still stationed at 13. And that was always a big drawback. Yeah. Like, man, I, I really hate for you to leave the station. Mm-hmm. You hated to leave that station. You'd be lo- leaving your group of friends. Mm-hmm. It was just something that was really hard to decide to do that. Right. And then you got this call. It's like, well, you're going to be moving stations. And, and it was, was like, funny, well, okay, now I don't feel so bad. I, about actually, I actually got that call. We were down here visiting when yeah. I got the call. And uh, my officer called me and was like, hey, man, you know, you took off. You know what happens whenever you go out of town? You know, you get moved stations. I first kind of thought he was joking. Uh, but he was like, you know, you're you're getting moved to a different station. And it's it's kind of, it's almost, you know, whenever you're a kid, like moving schools. You know, it's not the end of the world. Everything's mostly the same, but you just, you're not in your little comfort zone. So we were kind of, in a way, ushered out of Amarillo through steps. I feel like that naturally happened in that, hey, this was something that was a drawback for us leaving, and it naturally got taken care of to where that was no longer an issue. Right, right. And so, yeah, little, little bitty things happened that kind of helped usher us out, and and then luckily this, you know, job came through as I, as I really needed it to come through. And so let's see, where are we still summarizing the move, I guess? Well, I think just talking about this situation. So yeah. that's kind of how it happened so quickly and why we mm-hmm. felt comfortable with it and happening. And so why quickly. we haven't done an episode. And It's also months. just been crazy. Yes. It has been crazy. And I do feel like we're just now hitting like a point of normalcy. Well, and I do feel like maybe something I underestimated was the process of getting settled in. Because I think when you're just moving from house to house, especially like like a 1,600 square foot house, mm-hmm. you have room to maybe have an extra room to kind of have all of your boxes and things. Or, hey, you don't know where things are going yet. You have room for it to be in the house and not have an official place yet. Right. When you're living in a, what, 600 square foot house, you have no room for boxes. You Mm. have no room for things to be out. Everything has to be in its place. The end. When we had some stuff, like we had a huge kitchen table. that We had to sell a lot of things. We we got rid of a lot of things. And there's nowhere for those things to go in the meantime. So you have to get them out of here. And the boxes cannot be in the house. You have to get rid of all of the boxes, get everything in its place. Because we were just stepping over boxes and things to even walk through the house when we first got in. Oh, yeah. it was, And and it was funny, too. So my parents were nice enough to help us move down. And so 
at like one point in time, we're all in the farmhouse and Shannon's parents are helping us. And then it's me and Shannon and then it's my parents and then it's the kids. So there's, there's six adults and two little monsters running around the house. It was just very, very hectic. And then I get the call. And then so our whole first week of moving stuff in and kind of getting stuff in its place, then they're like, oh, and by the way, um, you start work in a week. So you had to go do your registration, physical, things like that. We had to do all of this different stuff. And then we made a quick run back up to Amarillo to get the rest of our stuff because now I'm about to start work and... We had school starting. I mean, it was just... I, a I lot started, of things all at once. Yeah, I started work on a Monday. Emmett started pre-K on that Monday. It was Emmett, Callahan, and me. Yeah, we all you, started Well, on you Tuesday. and Callahan both started work on Tuesday. Or uh, school oh, on yeah, Tuesday. Oh, yeah, Emmett started on Monday. We started on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, but it was all in the same week. I mean, yeah. we, we went from, hey, we're living in Amarillo, to literally two weeks later... We moved and we're all starting school. And we're all starting uh, yeah. stuff. So... It was definitely a very fast-paced, hectic. Uh, the whole time, there's a lot of thoughts that were going through. I think both of our heads, yeah. you know, like there's that. It was almost daily that we would look at each other and we're like, "What? What did we just do? Like, it's what? one of those where it was a panic mode. I would get into a panic mode, and not in a way that was questioning our decision. I still knew that this was the right decision. But it was also panic-inducing at times when you look around. It's like, ha-ha, ha-ha. <laughs> what did we do? Yeah. <laughs> I had a nice house. Why did I leave I know. That? Well, and they, like there, there are moments where, and I mean, I think that that's, you know, part of what I had, you know, written down to talk about was escaping your comfort zone. You know, yeah. like we were very comfortable in Amarillo. Well, there. and I think it's it's hard. I feel like I've... I've had you think about it a lot because I personally felt tired of being in a comfort zone. And I think you did too. Mm-hmm. I think that there are people out there who are perfectly fine with living in their comfort zone. And I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. I feel, I don't want to make like sweeping generalizations of like comfort zones are bad. I don't know. I just, I feel like when I was talking to Aaron about it on that episode, I feel like I made a lot of generalizations mm-hmm. of this is good and this is bad. And I guess I have no clue if that is true for everybody. I just know for us, we were tired of the comfort zone. Well, and you know, I've I've heard the uh, analogy, the metaphor maybe, of you know the you put a a frog in a in water and then you yeah. slowly turn up the heat and it slowly just dies. It boils to death. And we were boiling to death. I think we were. <laughs> I mean, there there was a lot of. Uh, I don't know if it's come if it came through on the podcast. Uh, granted, we didn't. I don't know if it came through on my earlier podcast, but for a lot of years, I'd really wanted to do something like let's and and I loved my job at AFD and I loved the guys at AFD, but there was a lot of times where I was where I would stop and I'd kind of question like, is this is this life like is this what what I'm not necessarily designed for. But is is this the best use of my life? Yeah, and I feel like people have callings, and that's where I felt like we were not living well, our calling in Amarillo. And I would also say for me, 
a lot of being in Amarillo and my position in life was kind of like stuff fell into my lap. I didn't necessarily manifest anything. It was like I was in high school and then it's like, well, I mean, I got to have a job. So, well, fire academy, I'll do the fire academy. And then I get out of the fire academy. It's like, well, okay, now I'm hired on AFT. And well, and then like even it was my, very passive living. Yeah, like even the house that our my first house that I bought was right up the road from the church that we went to. And so like my mom was leaving the church. I can't remember why she was there. I think it was like during the week. But she's like driving down the road to go home, and she sees this house, and she says, "Oh, it's a cool, it's a cool house. You should buy it." Uh, and, okay. and that's how I bought it. You know, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. This is a cool house. I'll, I'll buy it, you know? And so a lot of, a lot of my life was kind of like, well, uh, here's, here's, here's what you should do. And you did it. Yeah. Here's an open door. Let me walk through it. Not necessarily trying to find something, you know? And, uh, I don't know. I mean, even like you, you know, you just see me at the grocery store and then next thing I see is like, we're married. You're like, <laughs> Hey, I'm here, and it's like, okay, well, she's here. Well, oh, jeez. I'll, I'll go ahead Way and marry her. Way to make that sound not romantic <laughs> at all. I know, all. I know. That that didn't sound very romantic. But <laughs> all that to say, uh, a lot, I think a lot of stuff had just been there and come to me, and I, I accepted it. And granted, it was great, like comfortable, um, ton, a lot of friends, a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of great experiences. Think, we weren't not deprived in any oh, way. Oh yeah, and I think it was good. And we, it was. I can think for me personally, it was probably really good for the stages that I've been in and the maturity levels I was at. Like it was great for being young, oh, figuring yeah. life out, having kids. Yeah, getting. getting I have a no handle. complaints about it, but I do feel like that as we got older. As I personally started to figure out more of like what I think about things my own opinions, I felt like the life I was living was getting a little bit hypocritical mm-hmm. to where I, as again, as I'm forming these opinions, because I didn't know what my opinions were at 20 necessarily, as I got older, I'm starting to question what I think about society, what I think about just, I don't know, different aspects of society. I don't think I agree with everything. And but then I'm living that life. Mm-hmm. So here I'm questioning consumerism as I'm being a consumer in society, and you can only do that for so long, you know. And then I felt like I was talking to people, explaining like, "Here's why I'm so passionate about these things," but I'm still living this way. It was just hard. I just didn't feel comfortable. I feel like it was on the fence of either I need to. Keep just living this comfortable life and, in a way, forget about my opinions of it because I this life is treating me well, so just accept it and be happy. Or, if I disagree with it, I need to stop participating in it. Well, see, and I, it's interesting. Uh, at, at one point in time, I was, I was talking to uh, Brad, actually. We were at the station talking. And I was kind of saying, like, some of the same stuff you are saying. We were talking about moving and we were this and that and we were just kind of talk. I actually had a whole lot of help with the fire from the fire department, from the guys. And they would kind of like prompt me and question me and make sure that, Hey, this is the decision you want to make, you know? 
And at one point in time, I said something to him, like, man, you know, like, just frustrated with how all this stuff is going, and we were talking probably politics and philosophical concepts and stuff. And he kind of turned and he was like, well, yeah, but we don't all just have a farm we can run off and live on, you know? And I think that that was, when he said that, granted, I, I count the blessing, you know, like, I don't think everybody has the opportunity, but what I would also challenge is say, we were looking for something different. And so we evaluated our options and found something different. You know, you have to be looking for something different before you can see these different options. Yeah, we wouldn't have even considered this. We Actually, I did not even think of this six months ago. We did not know we would be in this farmhouse. No. Because we, we had to really look into down here if this is what we wanted. And then my mom and grandmother then open this up as an option. Mm-hmm. Hey, have you thought about living here? You can do that. Well, and it was kind of, it was interesting because just to hearken our harp on this just a second, you know, because I've been doing a lot of reflecting on this because our, our goal with this podcast and our goal, you know, going forward is we want to inspire change. Um, and it, not every what's hard is not everybody's change is going to be the same as our change. Not everybody has the same uh, opportunities or the same, I would even say like tools or options, you know, like everybody's playing with a different toolkit. And the part that I want to harp on here is say, okay, but look at your toolkit. Like actually, actually analyze the options that you have and you have to, you know, the, the name of this episode is going to be called Leap of Faith. And part of it is we were, we made decisions before we had all the information to where we could make some of the decisions we made. Yeah. Uh, we decided at, at just some point in time, it's like, no, we're going. We're going for this thing, you know? And that was the Leap of Faith was kind of like, no, we're... No matter what, we are doing this, and we will make it work. Yes. And then it naturally just worked out. Right. And you know, and uh, in preparation for this podcast, I was kind of thinking about some different people. Uh, one of my buddies, Zach Quine, um, he's always had this mentality of where he's just like, no, I'm just going to jump. You know, like, no, I'm going to go to school in, I'm going to go to school in Alaska. And, okay, well, what are you going to do? I don't know. I'm just going to do it, you know? And he did it. And uh, and in a lot of ways, I've always respected him for his ability to just to just jump. And there are times where it has made me really nervous. I'm like, dude, you're going to do what? And he's like, no, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go for it, you know? And then uh, my cousin Kagan, they moved up to Colorado. And it, and it was a very much a, no, we're just doing it. Like, we're going. Like, we're going to move in and... They had some uncomfortable maybe years. I'm not exactly sure. You know, they moved up there with a young baby and moved in with uh, his his in-laws. And they did some, well, now they're doing great. They've, yeah. you know, and I remember him saying that to me like back in the day, because at the time we were married, 
and we weren't sure what we were wanting to do, but we were even looking for a change. And this was before Emmett was even thought of. Yeah, so, we had talked about moving to Colorado as well. What, so seven years ago, probably? probably. I mean, it was shortly after we got married. And that's what, you know, Kagan was kind of like prompting me on this uh, leap of faith uh, mentality of just like, no, dude, do it. Like, it will work out. You know, in, in ten, and it's a... Uh, it kind of makes me think of the the poem, The Road Less Traveled, you know, or The Trail Less tra- What? Yes, Don't look what at me like it? that. Well, what I was going to say is, in in the poem, they're the same trail. Okay, I was about to say, if you, if you say... How would I have gotten it wrong? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Um, can I just, can I make a tangent of this real quick? Uh, Yes, you can make a tangent. Just ex- explain it to the listeners and I will be right okay, back. Okay, I actually you. feel like I might have said this before in the podcast. I think we maybe have to, I'm going to but... say it again because it is still one of the most misinterpretive poems of all times. Because the end of the poem says, well, the beginning and the end of the poem say, two roads diverged in a woods and I took the one less traveled by. So everyone thinks that means that there were two, one was heavily trafficked and the other one was not and he picked the one that was not which is not true at all what he actually says is he sees two roads and they look identical and he does not know which one to pick and so he tells himself that he will take this one and and that it is less traveled by because that makes him feel like it's the right decision and so he even says like maybe someday i'll come right back and i'll take the other one because who knows like we're all faced with these decisions there's no right or wrong decision. We just have to go with it and we need to just make it up in our mind that that's the right decision. And that's what he says. I'm making this one the right decision in my mind by telling myself it is the one less traveled by. So, fun fact, it's usually widely misinterpreted. That's all. Are you back yet? Okay, there's only so much I can say about it. Do what? Did you finish it? I did, yeah, that it's just... They're they're the same path, which I actually feel like is very... I, I wish people would understand the poem because I feel like it's more impactful when you understand the real meaning. Well, and that's... So, to continue my point before you... I, people need to know that. Before you buy Stop misquoting me. the poem. Oh, no, I was about to quote it. Oh, quote. I know. I'm talking to everyone who does it on a regular basis. Right, so the 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 heroicness of that poem is that you can look back on your life, and as as long as you're framing it in the terms like where I am, hmm, I'm not exactly sure. Well, I think even with this situation, right? Six months ago, we were looking at a decision to move to the farm or stay in Amarillo. We could have. Both stayed in Amarillo. would have been fine. We could have stayed in Amarillo, made some tweaks to our life, mm-hmm. and still live a life that we were very happy with. Well, and and we, were, we had plans to build out our raised garden, our garden. bed. And yeah. So neither one was a, this is not a right versus wrong. Mm-mm. We could have made either decision the right decision. Right. Instead, we made one. And now that is the right decision because we are here. Now. Well, and see, and I think that the, this is what my the point I was getting at is uh, Kagan and Zach and a lot of these people who are willing to make these leaps of faith. And in the moment, right in the moment, it seems like a leap of faith. 
in the moment, it seems like, well, have you thought of all these things and all these, there's all these, but have you thought about retirement yet? Right. Well, there's all these variables that you will never be able to account for, for the future. You know, like there's all these different, you know, it's a, it's literally, you're looking at two trails that, and you don't know what they're going to lead to. You don't know what they're going to lead to. And they both are worn the same and they both look, you know, whatever, but you have to make a choice. And as long as you're making these choices, it, it creates this sense of agency within your own life. You made the decision. And the more that you make these agency type choices, the more control you have over your life. And it's I, intentionality. Right. And and the control isn't necessarily it's weird. It's almost like a I feel like this it's like a Zen concept, right? Because you still don't control the outcome, no matter what, right? I mean I could end up with cancer in a year and, and die, you know, or something. Uh, it, it's not a controlling of the outcome that that gives you a sense of self um, agent. I keep saying agency. I, I think I agency use, is a good one. I would I'm, like to use a different word to uh, to exhibit my vast vocabularic, uh, vocabularic. Ability, <laughs> ability, but. Anyway, well, real quick, just aside, and I I, now I'm not going to be able to remember who said the quote. I think it was, um, oh my gosh, I just went blank. Man, uh, Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Okay. Um, Uh, you haven't said the quote yet, so I don't know. Oh, I know. I just had to think about it in my head. Um, he said, "Make sure that your life's choices reflect your desires, not your fears." Oh, yeah. And I think that where I got to, at least with just the farm Amarillo decision, is if I stay in Amarillo, that's reflecting my fears. Mm. That I would be, I'm afraid to leave this. Mm. And I feel like that comes back to this idea of agency and intentionality that you've been talking about, is how many things we not do because we're just scared. Right. And that's okay to feel scared, but I don't want my whole life to be dictated by what I'm scared of. And so there has to be a willingness to go into the unknown mm-hmm. and just confront this fear. I feel like uh, we're we're talking about like Frozen now, like the Frozen well, I, 2 or whatever. Honestly, it sounds so silly, and I feel like a kid, but I have found Frozen 2 to be so inspirational. Because in the beginning of the movie, they're, they're all, all very comfortable. And they even say this. We don't want this to change. We're all happy. We have each other. We have our castle. Like, we're good. But they need to change in order to become who they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And in the end, it's even better. Or to, like, reconcile the the past, you know? Yeah. That it's... You, you have to just go into the unknown mm-hmm. and then whenever you do it, then you're no longer as scared of it the next time and the next time and the next time. And I think that's where you're coming in with this sense of agency is it's not that bad things won't happen to you. It's not that you have all the answers, but you can now face them. Well, and, and I, it's interesting because I, th- to broaden it a uh, slightly larger to our current culture and society and political whatever uh, debacle, I guess you could say. The whole problem is that it was people that were leaning towards more comfort, you know, more control, more... 
at like, what point are hey, we so comfortable hey, let's, that we just let's die? push let's push this debt back a couple of years, um, right? We'll we'll stay comfortable now. We'll we'll maintain the GDP and we'll 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 maintain our productivity now. But hey, you know, like healthcare, let us let, just you know, we've got an insurance companies and stuff and everything's just working keep buying what you need to yeah, and life know, will be fine it's working pretty good this and- is a perfect place to bring in throw which has also been a huge source of inspiration for this move mm-hmm. because i love throw little tiny context on him he moved out to the woods by walden pond and he built his own house on emerson's land on emerson's land um because he felt that society piled all these things onto you that you do not need. And so he wanted to go into the woods, strip it all back, and see what was necessary for life. Self-reliance. Yeah, that's kind of transcendent- transcendentalism. Transcendentalism, but specifically he was really highlighting self-reliance, right? Yeah. Anything that I'm using, anything that I have, I want to have done it, you know? Yeah. He was very big on that. He used like the pencil. Well, because he was a pencil maker. Right. Which is well, his so, dad was a pencil maker. Uh, but he began as a pencil maker. Oh, did he? Um, so it's like funny that he's a writer and he literally made the pencil. Right. And so his, a lot of his philosophy is be attached to the things you do. Do you even know? I mean, it's like living in a house and not knowing anything about it or how to fix anything or Mm -hmm. how to work on it. Like, you're so disconnected from the thing. Like, you're disconnected from the food you eat. Mm -hmm. You don't even know where it comes from or whose hands have touched it or who grew it. Like, our definition of homemade is all these ingredients come in a box, in a plastic bag, and we assemble them. Yeah. And now we have a cake. It's like, oh, well, this this cake is the cake homemade if you just assemble a package, a prepackaged yeah. You know. But I bring him up because he has this quote in Walden, and this is not verbatim, this is kind of summarized, but he's talking about the essentials of life. Like, what do humans need to live? And he kind of goes into, like, food and warmth. Those are the two things we need. And he's like, well, if that's what we need, well, then people today are just positively cooked. Mm-hmm. Like, we, mm-hmm. we're literally, we're fried. We have so much food and warmth that we're just dead. Yeah. Like, at what point is it? Is it too much? Well, it's, at what point is the, is the warmth now a bonfire that's burning us all alive? Right. It's the frog in the in the yeah. water where he's like, man, you know what? This ain't too bad. This is actually kind of nice. Like actually in a lot of – it's uh, it's almost like whenever you imagine like a, the whole argument uh, of the cruelty in zoos, you know, but then you're like, well, you know, it's not that bad though. I mean, they don't have to worry about. They, they don't have to worry about dying. They don't have to worry about this. They don't have to worry about predators. They're getting fed. You know, like, yeah, it's bad. It's it's not the same as wild. But who wants to live in the wild anyway, right? Because it's so dangerous out there. Like, at least they have their comfort, right? And it's yeah. it's always this. Uh, I think you know we're gonna have episodes in in the near future about duality. But it is, we're so, like you were saying, we're cooked by this or that. You know, it's like, hey, it's either extreme comfort to where you're going to become completely discontent and, and have to invent um, struggles and invent drama, right? Imagine drama into your life. Or you literally could snap. It's a beautiful butterfly right out the window. Yeah, that is a beautiful butterfly. Um, 
or you could literally like snap your ankle and you're you're dead, right? If we don't have the comforts of the modern medical well, system. Well, and that's what again he mentions in Walden, which is so funny because it was the late 1800s that he's writing this Mm -hmm. and he says as he's preparing to go to the woods people are asking him what are you going to eat how will you live what will you do and he's basically telling them like well what i mean what 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 does your food come from like from Mm -hmm. the ground like i i can do that i mean we don't need as much as we think we need well and you know so so much of our present situation uh culture is relying on other people for entertainment other people for validation right i mean i think i don't know if we've talked about it on on the podcast recently but it's like botox right what is the whole point of getting you know something injected into your face so that you don't have a wrinkle it's well, so that other people when they look at you they they don't see you. A they 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 see. Oh no no she, she's validated. Well, and I think what's interesting about the Botox topic specifically, even though it it, it comes with all of these topics, is that when you ask people why do you want it, they say it's for it's for me. Mm-hmm. I'm doing Botox self, for me. Self care. I would feel more confident. It's not for anybody else. It's for me. But then do we ask ourselves, well, why is it for you? Why does having less wrinkles make you feel better about yourself? Mm-hmm. It's still a, it's a societal decision. Right. It, that is, I mean, there's a reason that every young woman is concerned about her wrinkles. They are not each individually on their own becoming concerned with wrinkles well, in a and, box. And, and, I mean, it and, is, it's not a vacuum. And it's weird that you're concerned about wrinkle, I say you people you know individuals hey i'm a young woman who's now getting wrinkles so i do feel the insecurities but you were concerned about your wrinkles before you even had wrinkles because i well there's a that's multifaceted i know i know but that's what i'm saying is i also feel like i have more wrinkles than most people my age which is only exacerbated by those other people getting botox right now i look just super wrinkly for a 20 year old i mean you know in my 20s yeah well and, and but that's what i'm thinking is it's interesting is that you it's a, it's a neurotic behavior right we we are bred into neurosis uh culture breeds neurosis right it it makes you start thinking about things that aren't even problems that aren't even bad or good or they you know they're they're nothing right but but now the culture cuz a lot of it has to do with the fact that people can make money off of it they want you to hyper focus, yeah. hyper focus on your wrinkles, what you look like, what you wear, yeah. how you feel. Right. In the whole time, there isn't, um, there isn't as throw, right. Was being validated by like real things, right? Like he didn't need to be validated by the clothes he wore or the people he talked this to is, because he was self-reliant. This is part of the reason that I am very positive about running. You know, and and just general fitness, but I really like running because nobody cares. Like literally, nobody cares if I run a mile or a uh, hundred miles. Nobody actually. I mean, it's kind of impressive. It's people, impressive. People will say like, "Oh," but you don't nobody, get anything from it other act, than your own physical, right? Mental. But see that that's what I. It's it's a form of validation, yeah. right? It it's a. It's a way of equating 
your actual standing, right? Uh, I think that that's part of the reason that Jim, you know, you see people and as they start to improve themselves and work on themselves, most of them end up in a gym, right? Because it's such a visceral feedback mechanism of, well, okay, I got in here and I got embarrassed because I started going to pick up these weights and man, these weights kicked my ass, right? What's well, nice to know that you can do something. Right, but but I that's, can accomplish this. That's the thing is, okay, if you work at that specific thing, then you can pick up those weights, right? It's it's not an insurmountable, it's not an yeah. unattainable goal. Yeah. The problem with the neuroses that the culture is giving us is there is no way to fix it, right? There is. No. No, because if you get if you get Botox now, well, now you need to get your lips done. Oh, and well, that, and then, yeah. And then if you get that done, well, well, now look, now you got to get your nose done. Well, hey, how about you just slice your eyelids and and you get those done, right? And it, it's a and then everyone's gonna look exactly the same, right? It's an there there is no way of accomplishing that goal. Whereas yeah. with running, hey, run a half marathon. Yeah. You you can accomplish that goal and 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 you can be done with it if you want to be. You probably aren't going to want to, but then going overboard and getting more into it actually does actual work for you. Well, and I think to loop back to throw what I like about him and what I think is important to address is that he lives in the woods for 2 years. And he returns to society. Mm -hmm. That was always his goal. Because the answer can never be go seclude yourself forever and don't talk to people. And then you can find true enlightenment. That can rarely work in today's society. And even in his society. It's just really not... Well, modern. Modern society. And I don't think pre-modern people had the same neurotic... Probably not. You know, necessity. But there that's so his point is there is a way to live within society. Society's not just um doomed to be terrible. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to suppress your own natural abilities and put all of these fake things on you. He's saying if we can become self reliant, know our worth, know our value, know what we're capable of. And then we enter into society not needing extra validation. It it's doable. It can work. There's there's ways to do that, and society can then only benefit from that. Mm -hmm. But we first need to take the step to simplify. Right, and so I think that's a pretty decent way of wrapping up this uh, segment. I guess segment. Okay. Um. So that's that's the leap of faith. You know. I, I think, you know, we kind of tried to sum up our move down to the farm. And then, of course, we, we got into the weeds and started well, talking about... I, I think it's... Started talking about, like, actually why we made the move. Yeah, like, these say, are, honestly, like, Thoreau was a huge inspiration. I think oh, that's yeah. part of why we moved is because I've read his book and I've, I'm inspired by him. I and, want to live more like him. Well, and that's the thing is we're... I'm already starting to clear some of the land. We're going to build in some some raised beds. We're going to, you know, I hope a lot of people follow us on this journey. Cause I do think we're going to do some really cool stuff. And, and the whole goal is like, Hey, you, the person that is hearing this right now, start a compost pile, 
you know, start, start preparing for next spring. Now it's, uh, you know, we're, we're touted, uh, investments, investment, investment, financial investment, you know, but let's start investing in our food sources, physical investments. Yeah. Like let's... your body benefits from mm-hmm. this. And so, and I, that was one of the things I hated leaving in Amarillo was our, we had two raised beds. I did love our little garden, but we had our little garden and we had our, our tomatoes were doing great. And we, we had, had cantaloupe our, and watermelon. Yeah. Exploding. Those were doing great. And, and, you know, we didn't get to really, fully reap the reward from from what we had done you know like i had worked on that soil you know yeah and so anyway uh you know that those are things you don't have to move to the farm to to start putting some of these concepts and ideas into practice like start simple and small and and let and just start investing you know if you talk to any financial person They'll say first, get out of debt, and then second, start investing, right? So, which is interesting because as I've studied more or started learning more about just financing and entered into those communities, most of those people are very big on health. Because mm-hmm. what's the point of investing making millions of dollars making if, millions of dollars if you're dying because you treated your body wrong? Mm-hmm. I mean, they have to go hand in hand. They if do. you want to succeed, you also need to have physical success or else you're still not able to reap the benefits of the life you've grown. Mm-hmm. And so we'll we'll wrap it up. We'll wrap it up. Okay. That, that was <laughs> right at an hour and uh you know we're gonna we're hope we're hoping to to do episodes more consistently and uh, you know we're wanting to get to work. So I've I've actually always had this dream of this podcast and the website and writing and doing all these different things. And we're we're really going to try to take this moving to the farm as an opportunity. We eliminated a lot of distractions. I mean. Even to get to the close, like, what, how far did we have to drive the other night to get to a restaurant? Oh, like, like over 30 minutes. Yeah. We're, I mean, that's a thing that even, again, I think I underestimated before I moved out here is that this is much more rural than I imagined mm-hmm. or initially anticipated. Because even to go to the grocery store, it's 20 minutes. Right. I mean, to go anywhere, it's 20 minutes. Like you're committing at least an hour. To go anywhere. Even if you're just running to go get something, you're committing an so hour. So you have to really plan and prepare. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're really hoping that y'all will follow us along on this journey. Um, like, share, and subscribe to, you know, I subscribe. mean. Subscribe. And, um, you know, in, I think, I think you'll really enjoy, we're going to really enjoy this process. And I'm, I'm hoping that you'll tune in and, and listen, and I, th- I think y'all will get something out of it. And we're going to try to figure out ways of engaging with uh, the community. We're hoping to build a community, you know. An empire. An empire. But, you know, uh, just quick, you know, the next war, which is looming on the horizon, is going to be fifth generational warfare, which is completely fought in narratives. You know, it's propaganda, it's narratives, it's, uh, they're, they're fighting for our souls in a lot of ways. That's, that's what they're trying to conquer. And so it's going to be a, a big, a war of ideas. If they can conquer the way we think, we're done for. Yeah, we're done for. So let's get in the fight, you know, 
in Does a lot. Does this mean our next episode can be about binary narratives? It will be. I mean, that's that's the thing is we're we're wanting to take this podcast in the cultural commentary direction. We're going to do like linguistic analysis and physical con or uh, philosophical concepts and theoretical concepts and uh, talk some political stuff. Not necessarily current events political so much as broader scope political i think so much of our education my education i say ours public school system education in in this type of stuff finance politics science uh, all these different things it was contrived in ways of controlling us we were only given in your to your point of binary narratives capitalism or communism those are the only two options are right? we getting into this now or are we saving this for next time we're saving it for next time okay. we're just kind of getting it started so uh give them a little well, i think give just, them a little, little taste <laughs> we'll never be arguing for one side or the other side right i think instead it's more looking at why are there two sides what should we be doing about it and what does this overall say about our state of society and our ways of thinking right we're we're this is the deprogram. We're gonna we're working to deprogram ourselves and, and the whatever society has injected into us. So, on that note, uh, we appreciate it. Check out the website. Check out different stuff. Uh, engage, and uh, until next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.